Well, let's head overseas now on this Friday date. Over the past few weeks on this show, we have been talking a bit about how the war in Ukraine is having an impact on other parts of the world that were already struggling through crises, how the cost of food and fuel and so forth going up has hurt countries where people were already vulnerable. We spoke to uh, someone with UNICEF in Kabul and Afghanistan a few weeks back about just how difficult the situation has been there uh, and how the war in Ukraine has hurt that. We spoke to someone about the Middle East and North Africa not long ago with the situation in Yemen, in uh, in Lebanon, as well as in um, you know for Syrian refugees. We spoke about that again last night. One area we haven't spoken about yet, and anyone who grew up in the 80s will remember East Africa, of course, including Ethiopia. The situation there now is no less urgent or serious than it is in other parts of the world. In fact, it could be even more so. First of all, desperately needed rains have so far failed to fall again this year in this current rainy season. That would make it four years in a row. There's been three bad rainy seasons in a row where there hasn't been enough rain. Uh, It's estimated if these conditions continue, the number of hungry people due to drought could spiral from the currently estimated 14 million people to 20 million through 2022. Somalia faces the risk of famine. Half a million Kenyans are one step away from catastrophic levels of hunger. And malnutrition rates in Ethiopia are already well above emergency thresholds. Again, the situation compounded by the fallout of that conflict in Ukraine with the cost of food and fuel soaring to unprecedented highs. Well, joining me now with more on this is from Nairobi in Kenya is Michael Dunford. He's the East Africa coordinator for the World Food Program. Michael Dunford, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's a pleasure, Ben. Thanks a lot. Uh, we've been l- reading a lot about the the domino effect that the conflict in Ukraine has been having around the world, specifically in places where there were already uh, food security issues. Um, I understand that in the Horn of Africa, in East Africa, this just exacerbates an already very dire situation. That's exactly right. We've got a situation currently which is almost uh, hard to comprehend even six months ago. We've seen the numbers of people acutely food insecure increase by 60%, up to 82 million people. That's about 28% of the entire population of the region. And that is caused by a culmination of conflicts, long-standing conflicts, the effects of climate change, the macroeconomic impact of COVID, which we are really feeling at the moment. And now, of course, we're seeing this global spike in costs, which actually predated Ukraine, but Ukraine has exacerbated the situation. So what we're seeing is an acceleration into a very severe food insecure uh, situation across the East Africa and the Horn. I gather that one of the main contributors here is there's simply been no rain now for years, or at least rainy season has not been rainy season for, for a while. And again, this year, it looks like it might not uh, be any sort of salvage. Yeah, so we're, we're currently f- facing, we're experiencing a severe drought across three countries, Kenya, Somalia, and southern Ethiopia. As you say, we've had three failed rainy seasons This is the rainy season. It's called the goo rains. Uh, They run from March to May, more or less. And we are desperate to get at least average rains. 
Unfortunately, thus far, they haven't been uh, performing and we're very concerned what the implications of a fourth rainy, failed rainy season would be. It's estimated that currently the region is the driest it's been by, for almost 40 years. And it just gives you a sense of the severity. We estimate that currently there's 15 to 16 million people affected by this drought. If the rains fail, this number could go as high as 20 million. The speed with which this has turned into a real crisis, I mean, it was already a crisis in some ways, but the speed with which this has become an even more severe crisis strikes me as being uh, fairly hard to comprehend the fact that 60% of people have now found themselves uh, or 60% rise in in this food insecurity. What can you do uh, to try to help? Well, WFP and other humanitarian actors have, you know, we have clear plans as to what needs to happen. We have the capacity to roll it out. What we desperately need at the moment is the funding, And the World Food Programme for the next six months, as it relates specifically to the drought emergency, needs $473 million to reach upwards of about 7.5 million people. Um, So we are making a plea to all of our traditional donors, and we're really reaching out to new private sector and other donors to come to the support of the World Food Programme and others so that we're able to meet the basic needs of keeping people alive during this very severe drought. I understand that the last round uh, of funding didn't was a fraction of what you needed uh, for the for the previous six months. Yeah. So on the original appeal, we raised only about 20 percent. Now, we appreciate that support, but it simply isn't enough. And to be able to respond at the scale and the speed And with the effectiveness that is required, we need to have considerably more funding, as I say, $473 million for the next three, uh, six months. Where, where has the, I mean, you've been doing this for, 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 for a long time, you know, how don't donors work. Where do you think, um, are are people been, are, are donors distracted by, I mean, we've been talking in the past few weeks, even on the show about a crisis in Afghanistan, a crisis in the Middle East and North Africa, clearly Ukraine, um, has the world's attention been so diverted now that that we're watching these these crises are happening sort of completely out of the public eye? No, I think they're in the public eye. I think the donors are struggling to identify where they need to be putting their resources. Um, the demands have increased globally. It's not just in Eastern Africa that we're feeling the effects of that culmination of four factors, conflict, climate, COVID, and now costs. Um, This is being felt across the globe. In fact, at WFP, we're looking to see how can we position ourselves to be able to respond and draw attention, advocate, raise funding, and ensure that we're mobilising to the extent necessary, not to just address the needs in Eastern Africa, but as you say, in Afghanistan, in Ukraine, in Yemen, in Syria. I hate to say it, but, you know, it. I haven't seen the situation as severe or as precarious as what we are facing currently today. Around the world. Around the world, exactly. Yep, exactly. And there are many locations that are not getting the attention. Uh, Significant uh, 
situations, disasters, effectively. Uh, a place like South Sudan, where 7.7 million people need humanitarian assistance, they've had three flood seasons consecutively now, which has not only changed the direction of the Nile River as it moves through the massive swamps of the Sud, but is causing displacement, which in turn is causing conflict between those displaced and those receiving them. So we are seeing firsthand the effects of climate change, which is translating into climate conflict. You, you, you've had to make some difficult choices. I, I've heard you say that you've had to take from the hungry to feed the starving, uh, clearly not where any aid organization wants to be when prevention really is the best re- remedy, I imagine. Absolutely. And these are tough choices and they're, they're not choices that anyone envies having to try and make. Yeah. Again, we've seen droughts in the past, we've responded to them, and we've learned lessons from them. And we've invested, as WFP and others, in building the resilience and trying to mitigate the effects of these types of shocks. The problem we're facing is that the frequency and the severity of the shocks is increasing. And even the measures that we've put in place are not sufficient to absorb or to address these needs. So, you know, we're coming to a point, Ben, where you know, this is going to be life and death for many of the people that we're either able to support or who, for whatever reason, fall beyond the support of the humanitarian uh, community. I was speaking with Michael Dunford, the East Africa coordinator for the World Food Program from Nairobi in Kenya. Uh, He's responsible for an area, including the Horn of Africa, Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya, where uh, more and more people are falling into food insecurity with a combination, as he's mentioned, of climate change, conflict, COVID, and now cost. Uh, This is the rising costs of of basic goods that we've seen happening around the world, uh, including here at home, but certainly more acutely in areas where needs are more desperate. Uh, After this, we'll talk a bit more just about what that impact has been, and also some of the impact of the war in Ukraine, because it's having a very uh, specific impact on things such as fertilizer, which is heavily needed uh, in certain parts of, of, of Michael's territory that he's responsible for. And we'll get to that after this. I'm speaking with Michael Dunford. He's the East Africa coordinator for the World Food Program. He's in Nairobi in Kenya. We've been talking about the impacts of climate change, conflict, COVID, and now rising costs that we've been seeing around the world for basic necessities and the impact that's having uh, on countries in the region where he is uh, he is responsible, including Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya, and just the, uh, the, sh- the sheer uh, speed with which it has become an increasingly dire crisis, uh, food insecurity crisis in the region. Um, Michael, one of the things that we were talking about, or one of the things that I was looking at was just the reliance that the region has on certain imports, and it's not alone, obviously, in the world, uh, but certain imports that come out of the region that we now find either in conflict or under sanction, and that includes wheat and fertilizer. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a huge concern for us because this region Wheat makes up about one-third of the national cereal consumption, and 84% of this comes from both Russia and Ukraine. This is going to have an impact on costs, and we're already seeing it. We estimate that the average food basket is increased in cost by 23%. In some countries, 
we're seeing an even more dramatic increase. In Sudan, for example, it's up by 92%. In Ethiopia, it's 66%. And in Somalia, it's 36%. So people simply are not going to be able to afford their basic staples. Um, in addition, Russia and Belarus are the two countries that predominantly provide fertilizer to the region. 90% of the fertilizer consumed and used in Ethiopia and Sudan comes from those two countries. Because of the new sanctions regime, we estimate that the amount of fertilizer imported will be dramatically reduced. As a result, the costs of that fertilizer will increase. Farmers will have less access. They will use less, and that's going to have an impact on the production and the availability. So it's, it's a culmination of factors that is really going to push the region to the precipice because of the situation currently in Ukraine. Michael, when we talk about precipice, I mean, those of us who grew up in the 80s all remember back to the famines of those days and always hope we'd never see images like that again. Um, and yet I was watching images that were shared via the UN from East Africa, Somalia specifically, where we start, we're starting to see evidence of those images again. Uh, is that where we're at? And, and what can we do to possibly stop that from happening again? I fear we're certainly heading in that direction. You know, the the food security analysis for Somalia was released 10 days ago. It indicated that up to 6 million people are at risk of famine um, if the rains fail and if there is not a dramatic upscaling in, uh, in the humanitarian assistance. So first and foremost, we need funding. We need funding from the Canadian government, the US government, the European governments, to be able to scale up our response. Um, if and when we come through this crisis, we need to invest even more heavily in building the resilience and building the capacities of these populations to better cope. Um, there's a lot that can be done. We've learned the lessons from the past, but unless we get the levels of funding required and as I mentioned earlier, for WFP alone for the next six months in response to the drought, we need $473 million. WFP estimates that our requirements for the region, drought, conflict response, all of the investments in development, et cetera, we needed in excess of $5 billion. Last year, we had a record level of funding and we greatly appreciate the support we received, but we probably only received half of what we're going to need this year. So there's so much that can be done, and it's WFP and others working in support of governments and building government capacity and building government social nets, social safety nets and social protection systems, uh, building resilience, developing smallholder agriculture, building the capacity of Africans to feed Africans. And this is really where a lot of our focus is going, trying to nurture the capacity of the population to meet their own needs going forward. In the short term, I imagine there are still very difficult decisions to make. I understand that you've had to scale back certain programs that would seem to be vital. 
Unfortunately, yes, in Somalia, for example, we're not doing any of the preventative nutrition programs targeting the most vulnerable, the children under five, the pregnant women, because we simply don't have the funding. All of the funding now is going towards either the treatment of severe undernutrition or alternatively feeding those who are increasingly at risk of of dying because of of uh, the situation on the ground. As you put it, it is uh, taking from the hungry to feed the starving. Michael Dunford, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for shedding light on what's happening uh, in that region. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Ben, thank you very much.